It's a joy to see all of you here today. And I don't know about you, but I was very happy to come into God's house today and to be in the midst of his people and to see you guys once again. I'll first read for you Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. When I memorized this passage, um, it was the King James Version. And it says that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, I know that oftentimes when I'm going through difficult trials, that when I get the opportunity to come with the saints and to be in the presence of Jesus, that my heart is cheered, that I'm gladdened. And there are other times when we're so excited. We just can't wait for Sunday to come, for Tuesday, whatever day it is. Because we want to talk about what Jesus did for us. And we can't keep quiet. We want to tell, tell the church what happened. <laughs> we want to tell how we overcame, how Jesus delivered We want to talk about those moments when Jesus taught us to close our mouths and just to pray and to wait on him and to see his glory. It's in those precious times when we're so happy to come into God's house. So I thank you today for it was very selfless of you coming here today. I know for some of us, traffic was hard. But we've set our heart in Jesus. And we said, well, it doesn't matter how long I, I will take to get here. I will be here and I will bless the name of Jesus. And for some of us, we might only have a few pennies on, in our pockets. But we're here today. And for others of you, you're going through it. You might be in the valley that looks so dark. But you're here today because you want to meet Jesus. And it's also an honorable thing that you did by coming up and being here amongst us. Let me tell you what Jesus says. In Matthew verse 19, it says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it, they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. We have a whole lot in this room. And the promise of Jesus is, wherever we gather together as the church, and whatever we come and bound our hearts and pray for, that the Father will hear our cries. See, as the church There's so much to pray for, to petition the Father for, for a nation as we've been doing earlier. So I welcome you today into the presence of Jesus. Let's take our rightful place and honor the name of Jesus today. We usually open our mic for some of you who may not know. um, The message today is... Do not force God to leave you. Do not force God to leave you. Almighty God, while on others thou art calling, do not pass us by. Let the words that are spoken be according to your will. By your spirit, may they be life for your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. For many years as I read the book of Ephesians, as I would read through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, I would come to Ephesians and I would drift off. I just faded out. I couldn't make sense of this first chapter, particularly this first chapter. And the whole book was a struggle for me. 
I remember way back in seminary, when a professor preached on the first chapter, I sat recognizing I could not understand his words. He was speaking English, but they made no sense to me. They didn't connect to my life. And I walked out utterly confused, and that started my searching the book of Ephesians. I'd skip the first chapter, and I'd begin my study in the second chapter because I couldn't make sense of chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 3, the one having blessed us with every conceivable spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Well, what is that? I know the blessing of going and sitting down in a fine restaurant and enjoying a wonderful steak. I understand that. That's a blessing. I understand a bonus. That's a blessing. Now you can go do what you need to do with the cash. That's a blessing. I understand a person forgiving me for wronging them. That's a blessing. We all know what blessing means. A gift given. And we're getting ready now for Christmas. And I'm sure many of you are already looking at your finances and looking at what you're going to do. And I know I'm already making my list of non-believers because at Christmas time they will accept gifts and I can testify to Jesus with them. And so most of my giving at Christmas time is all focused particularly on Muslims. That's where God has my heart. I love Muslim people. I've, I just, my heart has gone out to them. And I want them to know the freedom and the love of the gospel of Jesus. And so I give Christmas gifts to all my Muslim friends. So I'm already working on budget and names and how much and what. We understand these kinds of blessings. But now it says every blessing in heaven has been given. What does that mean? I want to show you in very simple terms, please. Turn back to Galatians chapter 5. Now I say, this is verse 16. Now I say, you must walk in the Spirit. I know about walking in my body. That I do every morning I get up, I roll out of bed, I start my day. I know what I have to do to start my day. I know I have to shave my face, I know I have to get in the shower. I know what I have to do with my body, but what do we do in the spirit? What is that about? And if Jesus has blessed us with every blessing in the spirit realm, what's it mean? Now I say you must walk in the spirit and you absolutely cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, we know that, well, you all... Look at your hand for just a minute. I want you to ask your hand a question. Has your hand ever hit anybody? My hand has. Whose decision was it for that hand to hit somebody? Was it my hand's decision? No, it was not my hand's decision. My hand has never made a decision in its life. My hand obeys my spirit, not my soul. My soul is my personality. Personality is controlled and shapes as the spirit of a man flows out. Okay, so when I hit somebody, it was because my spirit ordered that hand to act in my self-defense. Am I right? I mean, have your feet ever taken you anywhere where you did not want to go? Have you had an argument with your feet as you walk down the street and saying, feet, stop, stop, I don't want to go there. No, your feet don't take you except as your spirit tells them where you want to go. Okay, so can we be clear? You have a spirit and you have a soul. Your soul is your personality, but your spirit is the driving force of your life. 
a part of the human spirit is what is called in Scripture flesh. It is the descendant power, twistedness, that we got from our forefather Adam and from our mother Eve. Any of you in this room not children of Adam and Eve? If so, you're aliens. You should let us know. All of us came from Adam and Eve, and we all received a twisted, bent nature, or twisted and bent spirit. The Spirit of God departed from us, and the glory left us. And Adam and Eve realized they were naked, and so they tried to sew fig leaves together. How'd that work out for them? We're not very good at covering ourselves. Now, all of you look beautiful today, but I notice none of you have on fig leaves. God clothed us in the skins of animals. We learn to make clothing. The Spirit of God has departed. And now part of what is going to happen is a transition from the Spirit of man to the Spirit of God. And that will be complete, it speaks of in Corinthians, where in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the corruptible will put on incorruption. Okay, so a transition is coming for this physical body. But right now, we live in the physical body, and our spirit directs it in terms of what it's to do and not do. You cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh, i.e. the fallen nature. Now, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So he's saying there is a battle that is going on between the spirit of man that is bent and twisted and the spirit of God that is righteous and holy. I'm sure all of you can quickly identify where you are having that battle or have had that battle in your own life. So you must not do these things that you may desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Okay, now he's going to tell us very specifically, what is the Spirit of man and what is the Spirit of God? Notice. Now the works of the flesh are manifestations. Please, that's what I just said to you. Don't get lost on me. What I tell my hands to do, what I tell my feet to do, what I tell my body to do, what I direct my life to be about in the bent nature of Adam and Eve has manifestations, results, outflow. Here they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, strife, dissensions, false teachings. You may wonder, why is false teaching included in this? Because the flesh sets up its own religious practice, whether it be Hinduism, Shintoism, Buddhism, Whatever that is, we set up these religions that allow us to feel a sense of something beyond us while allowing us to remain in control. So these false teachings, false religions, draw a heart that is natural. So many of them focus on then, and particularly this is true in Buddhism, focuses on a purifying of the human flesh and the human heart. So Buddhism is a strict discipline, but allows wickedness. Okay, so it's very pleasing. Envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and things similar to these which things I told you before, even as I said before, that the one practicing such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so we have a whole hit list of these manifestations when they show up in our lives, when rage shows up in our heart, when dissensions come up. Some people just like to fight. They get a kick out of it. Doesn't matter who they fight with, they just like to fight. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is very popular today, even in the Christian church. Witchcraft is when I try by positive affirmation to force the spirit realm to produce what I desire from it. Through chanting, through affirmations, through rituals, I try to force the world to produce what I want it to produce. That's witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousies, strife. These are all manifestations of the bent nature of the flesh man. Many of us in the Christian church have attempted to deal with these manifestations by suppressing them, by pushing them down, by struggling, by trying hard. As a child, I had a red-hot temper. Dad would say to me, Raymond, you've got to try harder. So he'd punish me. And he'd say, I'm punishing you because you've got to remember not to get mad, because if you get mad, the punishment hurts. That's very much a law and order approach to the spirit of flesh, where, okay, I'll make it so expensive you won't do that anymore. But that only taught me to hide my anger, to push my anger down. It made it safer for my brothers and my family to be around me, and that was one advantage. But most men in America are angry men. And most women in America are angry and hurt women. Well, why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has not yet been applied to break the power of that thing and remove it from the heart and from the life. And the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be gospel. It would not be good news if it did not have the power to remove these things, these manifestations of the flesh out of my heart. I've got to be set free. I mean, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me? Thanks be Jesus Christ. His answer is, thanks be Jesus Christ will deliver me. Well, we have to see that in actual reality, not just philosophically. So now he goes the next step And I know we often call this the gift of the Spirit. But let's think of this rather as manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our heart and in our life. We have the manifestations of darkness, of the bent nature. Now he goes to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the changed life. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In fact, the ones who are of Christ crucified the flesh with the passions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. Okay, so let's be clear. I can begin to force God to leave me if I continue to walk in the manifestations of the flesh and refuse the gift of the Spirit. If I refuse the gift of the Spirit, there is the transition called crucifixion where I die to myself and I now am open and ask for the full manifestation of the Spirit of God 
to begin to be exercised in my life. The old man is done. He's crucified with Christ. Okay, this is what the writer is saying when he says in Ephesians, the first chapter, having blessed us with every conceivable spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He has blessed us with the ability, with the inclination to love, to be patient. Somebody said to me, Pastor, would you pray for me to have patience? I said, no, I'll pray for your crucifixion. You see, this is not a self-help deal. This is not where I keep trying and I keep pushing down my lack of patience. It's rather where I come to Jesus, I confess my lack of patience, and I ask Jesus to put that thing to death in me and set me free. And then I begin to confess to myself and to Jesus. I believe your promise. I believe that what you've said is true and faithful. So I claim the victory over that lack of patience, and I no longer will participate in it. I'm going to walk clean and holy by the power of God. Now he continues in Ephesians, in verse 4, just as he, just as he and no other, picked us out in him before the foundation of the world for us to be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose us to be in him in love. So before the creation of the world, God foreordained that there would be a church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, He planned from before the earth's creation that he would have a people that would be holy and blameless and like himself. Spent considerable time talking about this. Some of you were not there, so let me review it just very quickly. Before creation, God made the decision with Jesus, who is God, the Godhead, with whoever else was in that meeting, that God was going to deal with the rebellion in heaven, where a third of the angels joined the rebellion. He was going to deal with that rebellion in heaven by setting a stage in a back corner of the universes on a little planet called Terra Firma, Earth, The whole earth would be the stage of God where sin would be played out to its fullest extent, where the universes could observe and watch. And so his most powerful creation by the name of Lucifer is now turned against him in full rebellion and has made a public declaration that he is going to place his throne above God's. He is going to replace God. He's made a charge that God is unfair and unjust and that you can't trust him. So the first player is Lucifer. The second player, God creates the weakest of all of his creatures that are made in his image, called Adam and Eve. A man and a woman. A man and a woman who symbolically represent what God is doing in time and space and eternity. Do you understand what I said? God wants a model. God is big on models. And so he made a model of what he was about to do in the universe. There's Adam, who is the stronger one. There is Eve, who is the weaker one. There is Adam, who is the husband. There is the helpmate, who is Eve. The marriage symbol was to represent and to tell the story of what God is going to do on this stage in this great play in time and space and history. The marriage was going to tell us, this is what God is going to do. He is the strong one, and he is going to marry a bride who is the weak one. 
He is going to marry the human church. It will become his bride. Now, I don't know what that does for you. It sets my heart on fire. Is it any wonder that Satan has attacked so viciously marriage to try in every way possible to redefine it or to challenge it or to destroy it? Because it's in marriage that we see the symbolic coming together of Christ and the church in that glorious marriage, the supper of the Lamb. I tell you what, I want to be at that table. I don't think we're going to be able to see from one end to the other. Waited on by Jesus himself and the holy angels. Can you imagine being seated at that table and having your guardian angel introduce himself to you? And talk with you about what he did for you? And then serve you dinner? And then come and bust the table for you? We're going to be absolutely humiliated and joyous in the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I don't want to miss that table. I'd like us all sit together, in fact. Wouldn't that be a joyous trip? You saying to me, Pastor, you remember the Sunday you talked about us being here? Yes. I'll never forget it. I don't want you to ever forget it either. I want you at that table with me. I want to be at that table with you. Now God's setting this up with the most powerful evil creature to ever exist. And the weakest. And the devil says, I can take him. And when I take him. They'll be mine, and I win all the marbles, and we've proven that God is not trustworthy. And so he comes in the form of a beautiful dragon, a serpent, and he seduces and wins the heart of Adam and Eve and turns them against the living God of heaven. When God chose to destroy the earth, Satan was rejoicing, saying, I got you. But then he saved one man and his family. And he said they were righteous. They were not corrupt. But Satan says, I can get them. Sure enough, as soon as they land, what happens? Noah gets drunk. The son is cursed. The the grandson is cursed, Canaan. Wickedness begins to spread all over again. But in all of that wickedness, he has two men, by the way. Now he has Job, a contemporary of Abraham. He uses Job to show integrity. But he uses Abraham to show a man who will live by covenant. And out of this line of descendants, God is going to bring forth the Christ, the Messiah. And when the Messiah came, the devil said, I'll kill him. I'll seduce him. I'll destroy God. And then the universe is mine and I will set my throne up because God is out of her. He's dead. Can you imagine what Jesus felt like when human beings in the United States announced that God was dead? Oh, if they only knew. God is not dead. God is winning. But now this is where you come in. Why didn't Jesus ascend on high and remain in heaven and take his church with him? Because there was to be yet an unanswered question. Satan had said, no one can serve God in righteousness. And Jesus said, by the power of my blood, my people can live righteous before me. Every power of sin can be broken. The manifestations of the flesh can be utterly destroyed. And my people can walk clean before me. And Satan said, no, they can't. And he's gone out like a roaring lion. He may devour. And he wants you. He wants to devour you. And if it were not for the mighty power of the blood of Jesus, you would be one simple gulp for the devil. And you would be gone. But by the power of the blood of Jesus, he has gone forth to rescue his church And he wants a church 
that walks in righteousness and holiness and the similarities of God. He preordained, he predestined a church that would be righteous at the end of time, that would be glorious, dressed in robes of white, according to Revelation, that people would be filled with righteous deeds. They would not walk in darkness any longer. The manifestations of the flesh would be put away. And so in Ephesians, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, just as he and no other picked us out in him before the foundation of the world for us to be holy and blameless before him in love. This whole deal is about love. God's love for us. Fabulous love. He is courting us as his bride. He's planning an incredible future for us. Now, it's very easy for us in the Western world to look at this passage of Scripture and say, he picked us, that is, he picked me, and now I'm special. No. He predestined a church, not a person. He predestined a people, a righteous people. The example of that is very clear in the Scriptures. He predestined Israel. But the Israelites, who in the desert refused to believe in the name of God, who refused to trust him, but continually grumbled against him, continually rebelled against him, what happened to them? 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, they died in the wilderness. They were lost. But was Israel lost? No. If you want to... Look at this in a much deeper way. Please, not now, but later, go to the ninth chapter of Romans. And there you will find the Apostle Paul crying out for his people because he knows Israel is not Jewish. He knows that there is a predestined people that Israel was the forefiguring of. And the vessel by which Jesus would come, that all now who are in the church are of Israel. The church did not replace Israel. The church is an extension of Israel in the name of Jesus. And Paul is grieving over his people who have rejected and refused the Christ. Because he knows that they will be lost they will grieve God away from them. Now, God is not finished with Israel. He's returned them to the promised land. He's granted them their land once more. And we will see God work out his plan for his people to bring them to repentance and to a belief in Jesus as time ends. They are prominent in the final scriptures. God's eyes are always on the land of Israel. It is his land. He owns it. He owns the whole earth, but he named Israel as his property, as his real estate. So we're going to watch with wonder as Jesus comes back to earth and steps his foot down on Mount Olives and it splits in two and spreads apart and the holy Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and rests there. We are going to see some spectacular things in the real estate we call Israel today. But let's be clear. God preordained not your individual salvation, but the church. It's easy to misunderstand that. If you turn against the Lord God of heaven and you rebel and side with the devil against Jesus, with the manifestations of the flesh, the church will still be triumphant. You just won't be a part of it. Now, that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking to me. I want to be a part of it. Having predestined us unto sonship through Jesus Christ, unto himself according to the good pleasure of his will, Now, I'm not going to do it today. I will do it later. But please, read through this first chapter of Ephesians and begin to separate out where God the Father is spoken of, 
where God the Holy Spirit is spoken of and where Jesus is spoken of. And you will begin to see one of the most marvelous truths of the exceeding great love the Father has for us. All of the Godhead is involved in this salvation project. All of the attention of the far-flung universes are all focused in their attention on what's happening on terra firma. Because this is where the battle of the ages is taking place between Lucifer, the devil, and Jesus Christ. They were stunned when Jesus died on Calvary. They could not imagine that God would be willing to die. Obviously, God can't die, but in the flesh, as a son of Adam, without sin, never having become sin, Jesus died. They couldn't imagine it. That was love beyond anything they'd ever thought of. It was beyond anything anyone could even imagine that God would die. Now, if you go with me, please, to Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter, tells us how we make the transition from works of the flesh to works of the Spirit. Chapter 7 tells us of the extreme struggle of the flesh to prove that it can be righteous and repress the works of the flesh. Chapter 8 tells us what the normal life of the Christian is. If you want to know how does a Christian live who is not walking in the manifestations of the flesh, but is walking in the manifestations of the Spirit, chapter 8 tells us that. Now, I want to begin in verse 12. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according with the flesh. For if in accordance with the flesh you live, you are certain to die eternally. Now, when we come before the judgment bar of God and you say to the Lord, I'm sorry, I was never able to overcome my lust. And he's going to say to you, My son, was it because my blood had no power? Did I not do something right? Is it my fault that you have not been able to gain the victory over the lust in your heart? Am I responsible for that? Or was my sacrifice on the cross enough? And if my sacrifice was enough, then why are you talking in the manifestations of the flesh? You have forced me to leave you. Did you know you can force God to leave you? You can force God to leave you by constantly walking as the children of Israel did in grumbling and rebelling and insisting that you don't have the strength and so God, you're just going to have to accept me the way I am. No, he's not. God doesn't have to do anything. He has laid down the standard of righteousness And he has told us, look, I will do this in you. You don't have to do it. I'll do it. But you have to let me put you to death. You have to let me strip the flesh of the the wicked nature off of you and replace it with godliness. Are you willing to do that? And we say, yes, I'm willing to do that. But hey, what about the sports tonight? Hey, God, I'm willing to do that. But I've got this money to earn. Hey, God, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to be a Christian, but I've got all this family responsibility I've got to take care of. So we say, yes, but God, if you're saying yes, but to Jesus, you are in serious trouble because you are grieving God away from you. And you're left then with a shell of religion that has no power. And may I be honest with you, we have all grieved God. And by by his grace, he would have left us all. I mean, where is the flock that you've brought to Jesus? We're called to be warriors for Christ. We're called to recognize this is a battleground situation that we're in. And in this battleground situation, we are called to take up the fight against the powers of darkness and do all in our power to love the unlovely, to turn aside from wrath and bitterness and hostility 
to, to leave the manifestations of the flesh and be born in the spirit. This is going to take attention and time. But you see, we have our darling sins. We have those things we really love a lot. And, and we know that if we give the Holy Spirit full reign over our life, he's going to put his finger on that and say, I want that. Would you give it to me? And our heart says, are you kidding me, God? That's all that I have. I've given my life to you, Jesus, but I need this little corner over here because this is where I can get away from you and your spirit and just have some time to veg. And some of you spend most of your time vegging spiritually. When you show up in church, okay, I'll smile and I, I'm here. Pastor, I'm here. Well, wait a minute. What about all week? Were you in the prayer closet? Were you reading the scriptures? Were you earnestly seeking after Jesus? Or were you earnestly seeking after the gods of your heart? If you do that, you will slowly grieve God from you and he will leave you. (coughs) Until finally, you'll just be left as a shell of a religious person. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. And go home and... Swear at the wife, scream at the kids, be jealous at work, be filled with wicked ambition. It doesn't work that way. This is not the time for you to come and be religious. This week is when you're to go out and be like Christ. Okay? Either either the Christian faith works during the week, or it's not Christian faith. You know, when I was a kid... Halloween would come. And my favorite thing on Halloween was to dress up in my daddy's clothes. And I was just a little guy. And those bib overhauls, he was 6'3". So those bib overhauls came right up around my neck and rolled up the pant legs. And I'd carry a pitchfork because my daddy was farming. And I put on a mask and I'd go door to door for my candy. What a picture of a, of a Christian who is not really a Christian, dressed up in daddy's clothes, but unrighteous, carrying a pitchfork, going out to get your candy. We can't walk that way anymore. We've got to be true blue to Jesus. It says, but if the spirit, but if by the spirit you daily kill the practices of your body, you will live eternally. This is a day-by-day deciding process. And as you walk further and further in this process, and the Lord becomes greater and greater in your heart, it'll be habit. It'll be automatic. And you'll wake up one day and you'll say, wait a minute, that guy just cussed me out and I smiled at him. And I said kind words. Why? Why didn't I cuss him back? Suddenly you'll be driving into a parking lot and somebody will whip into the parking place that you have your turning signal on. And you'll get out of the car and walk around to that guy's window, and you'll say, are you okay? I hope you have a wonderful day. Jesus loves you, and so do I. And you'll go back and get in your car, and you'll drive away. (laughs) You know what I would do in my flesh? Which I did as a little guy? take my pocket knife and scratch down the whole side of his car. Gotcha, buddy. Don't cut my daddy off next time. Any of you ever want to key a car? Only by the grace of Jesus have you not wanted to key somebody's car. In other words, it's a literal transformation that takes place where we don't cuss and swear anymore. We're not bitter and angry anymore. Jesus is coming in and he's transforming us. He's making us like himself. He wants us to be a part of his body. He wants us to be a part of his bride. And there's a whole cleanup job that's got to go on for us to be a part of that bride. And it's all by grace. It's all by the power of the blood of Jesus. I tried for years to control my anger and I finally gave up and said, Jesus, This is something that you're going to have to do. And boom, he did it. It was gone. Now, I don't care if it's smoking, if it's drinking, if it's drugs, if it's fornication, if it's adultery. It doesn't matter what the manifestation of the flesh is. It all comes from the same place. 
It all comes from that bent Adam nature. And we're not condemned for that. We are invited instead to be crucified with Christ, to die to our stuff, and be brought into new life. If there's no difference between a Christian and a pagan, of what value is the Christian faith? If they still spend their money the same way, if they still watch the same TV shows, if they still have the same interests as the pagans, what difference does it make? And in that case, why isn't universalism the law? Why isn't every man saved and changed when they die? Why doesn't God force everybody to be righteous? Well, because that was the charge of Satan. God, you're unjust. Nobody will of their own free will follow you. And that's why Genesis 3.15 was so vital, where the promise was made, I'm going to leave a small window of opportunity where you can choose to hate your sin and turn to righteousness. And that small window has been the window through which I am escaping from the works of the flesh into the works of the Spirit. And I want you to walk that same way, to have the victory in Jesus. Now, Satan's going to come after us with everything he has. He'll try to destroy us. But it says, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, verse 14, this is Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God getting ready to be married to Jesus. Now, in verse 26 is one of the most amazing scriptures, and I experience it constantly. Now it is like... Now, in a like manner also, the Spirit takes a hold with us against our weakness. The Spirit of God comes, and He takes a hold of us. He grabs us, and He says to us, stop that. Stop it. Or He'll be even more blunt. He'll say, shut up. Stop it. And in our spirit, we know He's right. And in the midst of the battle, the Holy Spirit comes and he grabs a hold of us and he says, shh, don't say it. And we back off and we say, Lord, have your way. Have your way. I belong to you. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say those angry words. I'm not going to slash and cut and set fire to my family. I'm going to back off. We know not what thing... We might pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself meets with us. And in the Greek is the, is the sense he's not meeting so much with us as he is meeting with us in our behalf. He cares about you. He's coming in your behalf. If you'll listen to him with unutterable groanings. So the ones searching the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, so that in accordance with God, he pleads in behalf of the holy ones. Can I tell you, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to grab you this past week, to turn your heart away from all wickedness. He is after you. He wants you. He is searching your heart, and he is pleading for your life. Now, I've talked about this before. Something I've dreaded all my life was meetings where my fate was being discussed, where I had no input, like Job had no input into that meeting in heaven when the decision was made, okay, I'll let you sift him, but don't take his life. And he lost everything. What I want you to hear is that in the heavenly realm, God is totally committed to you. He is doing everything in his power by the blood shed on Calvary to turn your heart away from the manifestations of the flesh to the manifestations of the spirit via the crucifixion, the dying out. That's heavy. That's love. That's mercy. Now he says, Now we know, in verse 28, that all things work together for good for the ones loving God, for the ones being called according to his purpose. Everything works in accord with the will of God for the 
people, for the persons, for the church. In other words, if your heart cry is to be a part of the purpose of God in establishing the church, then God's going to work out everything in your favor. Now, my brother David has said something that's a bit shocking, but I need to repeat it for you. I wish he were up here preaching today and he could preach on it. Everything in this world would be utterly destroyed. We would not exist if it were not for God working out his purpose in this earth to redeem his bride. It's important to understand what that means. We think it's so important, our federal government, our elections, our our money, our jobs, our this, our that. Anything in this earth is only of importance if it impacts on what God is doing to bring about his eternal purpose in the church. There is no salvation outside of the church. If you're outside of the church, you need to get quickly to the ark of safety. Jesus is that ark. There is no individualism in the New Testament church. Individualism is a Western practice that is an antithesis with what Jesus is about in bringing together everything under one head, under his head, for the bridal party. In other words, we belong to Jesus. We're part of the church. The church is not an organization. It's not an institution. The church has institutions and organizations, but the church is the called out people of God where two or three people gather in the name of Jesus. There I am. He came to set apart a husband or a wife, a daughter or a son, a mother and her children, divided on the basis of, are you going to be a part of that final bridal party, or are you about your own business and your own world? Jesus did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword of division between the works of the devil and the works of the Holy Spirit, the work of hatred and bitterness and theft and love and mercy and compassion. The devil always hates. Jesus always loves The devil always destroys, Jesus always builds up. The devil always steals, and God always gives. We need to go a lot further in this, and we will in coming Sundays. And I will be on the radio. But I want to say very clearly to you today, if you're grieving God by functioning in the manifestations of the flesh, I call upon you today to repent and to turn aside from that and to focus your heart on Jesus and determine in your spirit that you will be a part of the bridal party of the Lamb and you will walk in the functions of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness. This is what we're called to. This is what the Christian faith is about, becoming the bride of Jesus Christ. Lord, I praise your name. You are high and lifted up. That you should have bent down so low as to become a baby. Suffer the indignity and the harm of human persons bent to wickedness. Finally to suffer in... Lord, I put my hope in your resurrection that we can be delivered from death and brought fully into life made righteous, made clean, made whole, filled with your love and mercy and compassion. Lord, let it be so today. In the name of Jesus, amen.